This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8. As you're turning there, again reflect on that truth. We serve a God, a Savior, whose love will not let us go. And he will love us until we stand in his presence and our faith becomes sight. I stand here this morning, I look out and I see Mark and Pam Bailey, I see others. Very close to not even being here on this earth anymore. The bus accident. God loved Ron Reed until he brought him into his presence. Perhaps even... Loved him with a, with a divine hug. God was in complete control on what happened on 460 this morning. But as a church family, we also know that that's a deadly highway down here. It's impacted our church in the past. God's love will not let us go. And we need to relish the reality that I can fellowship and walk with my God and experience his love every day. One of my burdens is for you young people to know what it means to walk with God. Just fellowship with him. Let him be your friend. He loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants to lead you. It's not about keeping rules. It's about pleasing him. And you'll discover that his his commands, his laws, none of that is grievous. God loves us, and all things do work together for good to those who love him. But there's something even greater that's happening when we face these difficult times, and that's what we find in Acts chapter 8. Have you ever faced a trial or unexpected circumstance that caused you to have to relocate? One of the hardest things I can think of is packing up the family, taking up your roots and going to some other place and getting another start. Of course, that's not anything new to you military folks. Uh, those of us that have been in the ministry, we move around a little bit too. Okay. But have you ever experienced that? Maybe you were forced to leave a rental home or work forced you to leave one city and search for work in another. Maybe it was even a danger, a threat, or open persecution that caused you to relocate. Now, we don't know a lot about that in this country, but the rest of the world does. Our brothers and sisters around the globe know that. I don't know of any time more unsettling, again, or more work than packing up your family, moving, not knowing for sure what waits in that new place. For Christians living on this planet, this is always a possibility. I hear Christians say all the time these days, can't believe what's happening in our country. Unless God turns the tide, it's going to get a whole lot worse than what we're seeing now. 
Now, why is it true that Christians living on this planet always face the possibility of God using difficult things, even persecution, to relocate us? Well, first of all, we never know where the captain of our salvation will give us ministry orders to somewhere else when he has already said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He is committed to working through us to get the gospel to the world. And so at any time, uh, he can say to you, your orders are changing. Now let me just pause for a minute and ask my brothers and sisters in Christ, are you aware of that? Are you conscious of that? Uh, Every day are you thinking, the captain of my salvation could relocate me in the harvest field to do his work somewhere else. I know that's not a comfortable thought, but that's our reality. The question is, are you willing? You say, but pastor, I'm old. God knows all that. But his call is always, always on our life. We should never assume our current deployment will be our last one because in God's army, we never really retire. Oh, we slow down, but for you senior adults, you don't retire. You may call yourself retired, okay? And every night before you go to bed, you remind yourself, I am retired. I need rest, okay? But but you're still here. God's not done with you, all right? Dr. Earl's preaching every week in that retirement home, okay? God's not done with us until he's done with us. But secondly, we need to see from our text today in Acts that relocating to a new place of ministry is always a possibility because of persecution. I'm not talking about running from problems when things get hard. God doesn't want us to do that but actually needing to flee because of the threat of bodily harm or death. And we're going to see in the text, it's okay to protect your family, to go someplace else, to feel like a refugee perhaps. As you get relocated, you're protecting your family, but understand God may just be changing where his missionaries are at. God may allow this to happen and use it to redirect us to another place in the harvest field. Someone may ask, well, does God actually do that? And we're going to see this morning he does. In Acts chapter 8, look with me at the first four verses. All right, here's what it says. And Saul, consenting unto his, Stephen's death, uh, was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they they that were scattered abroad went everywhere. What were they doing? Preaching the word. Okay, now, this is a narrative, 
And we're going to treat it like a story this morning, but we need to understand what's happening in the text. So let me get a little technical this morning, and then we're going to come and work through the text. Notice, Saul is mentioned in verse 1. So we're introduced to the agent of this deadly trouble. Right after that then, we are told, and this is what you're going to see, uh, that the physical result of the deadly trouble was they're scattered. And then, really, a part three in these verses is the focus turns back to Saul in verse three, who's making havoc of the church. And then the next verse takes us back to, again, the spiritual result of the deadly trouble. There was a physical result, they were scattered, but the spiritual result was their preaching. So that's what the text is doing. Yes, God may actually use the threat of bodily harm or death to redirect you, to redirect me to a new place of ministry in his harvest field. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is easy or comfortable. Which is why if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you take up your cross and you follow. I would say this morning, this is especially difficult as I look out into the eyes of my sisters in Christ who still have families at home especially. Passages like this can be terrifying. Lord, I know you have me on this earth at this time, but I have little ones and if this happens, what happens to them? And that's why it is so important, and we've heard the music this morning, to rest in the love of your God and to realize that Jesus, okay, he is my song of grace, as the choir sang. His name, grace, enablement, care, protection with purpose. So I've entitled the message this morning, right out of the text, Scattered for preaching. Scattered for preaching. Now as we continue the church's story in the book of Acts, we're told again about a young man. In the previous chapter, we're told he's a young man who becomes the agent of the deadly trouble. This man has already been mentioned in chapter 7 and verse 58. Just go up there. So as they're stoning Stephen... Uh, they, they cast him out of the city, they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. So now he's the agent. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his, Stephen's, death. That word death is only used right here in the New Testament. And it's the idea of killing and murder. He is consenting unto Stephen's murder. Now that's the word the Holy Spirit chooses to use to declare what has happened to his martyr. So it's not an accident. They killed him. Now the word consenting is a Greek word. It's used six times in our New Testament and three times it's translated to have pleasure. So think of it this way. Saul is the cheerleading section 
as the Pharisees and Sadducees stone Stephen to death. Saul approved of what was happening with great satisfaction. That's the meaning. So much, though, that he decided to make killing Christians his mission. That's where it takes us into chapter 8. In Acts 22.20, Paul would share this testimony again using additional details. It reminds us that all through his ministry, this event was something he'll never forget. First of all, it was a, a source of resolve. I'm going to wipe out these, these people, these followers of Jesus. Later, I think it was a, a cause for great regret. Again, God used it to bring him to salvation. But here's what Acts 22.20 says, And when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, what had, what had Saul witnessed? What had Paul witnessed? A stoning. A stoning's not nice. It's a bloody mess. He is guarding the expensive coats of these religious leaders as they take stones and crush the life out of this man, Stephen. He says, I was also standing by and consenting. <laughs> I was cheering. I was gaining satisfaction from this. It's the same word he used before, unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. They killed him. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary, believed that Luke here was actually sharing firsthand testimony that he had heard from Paul. As Paul reflected, remember, Dr. Luke was his companion in ministry. As Paul reflected on his days as the unconverted Saul, Luke is probably sharing firsthand testimony from Paul about what he had witnessed, what he had participated in. And so verse 1 continues, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Great persecution. No one was spared, as we'll learn a little bit later in verse 3. Now notice how God used the agent of persecution for his purposes. It's so easy as Christians to think, this is out of control. Look what they're doing. Look what he's doing. And the church in Jerusalem could be saying, look what he, Lord, do you see what he's doing? But God was using it for his purposes. So the physical result of the deadly trouble. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now make a note in your Bible. Make a note somewhere, okay? Thus begins the second phase of what the Lord Jesus had initially told the disciples to do. Remember Acts 1.8, and ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now remember, everything to this point in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit has been empowering it. It's amazing. Even Stephen preaches that message it's not a message he prepared for. He, he preaches a great message to the religious leaders. Twice before that, we're told that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit prompts him to look up into heaven. Remember, this is all the work of God. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, Jerusalem. Now, is Jerusalem happening? Yes, thousands have been saved. Thousands. 
But what about Samaria or, or Judea? What about Samaria? What about the uttermost parts of the world? Okay, it, it's great that thousands, I mean, they're, they're having a great time in Jerusalem. There is persecution. There's been, not been bloodshed until Stephen. But, but they're all here, and where should they be? Out there. And so God's going to help them out of the nest. Again, look at the text. God is so serious about his church taking the gospel to all the world that he is willing to use persecution and problems to get us there. The book of Acts, church history, remind us God may allow difficulty and persecution to purposely drive his witnesses to areas they had not planned to go. If God nudges us out of the nest, that doesn't necessarily make us comfortable, may not be pleasant. But are we willing to get out of the nest? Somebody probably to give you the gospel did something uncomfortable. They confronted you with truth. We have missionaries around the world this morning. Several families right out of this church. Praise the Lord. Do you think any of that was comfortable? Tempted to have the Wagars come up and share a testimony. Go to a hot smelly island in the middle of the Pacific no good health care. Okay, why? Because the, this is where the captain of our salvation gave us our orders. This is where we're supposed to be. Now, does God still do this today? Yes. And this is why he has given us this text. This is why this is in the book of Acts. Could God allow this to happen in your life, your family, in my family? The answer is what, folks? Yes. Are we willing to let God lead in this way? Now, your flesh right now wants to flood your mind with excuses. Nope. He wouldn't call me. He might be calling you. Now, verse, N, verse 1 ends with this note. The believers were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now this indicates great courage and faithfulness when strong church leadership was needed the most. These men had already been arrested, these apostles, and they'd been beaten, chapter 5, verse 40. They were still there. I think perhaps God allowed that to happen so that the church could watch their leaders suffer. And what happened after they suffered? They came back rejoicing. What did that teach the church? It's okay. God's in control. It's a privilege to suffer for the Lord. While people were scattering, the leaders stayed put. But now a brother has been murdered. And so they stay where God had called them. I'll just share something very personal this morning. Your pastor and his wife, and perhaps the Coles have had these conversations before too. Renee and I have, have literally had talks about me doing prison ministry because I'm in the prison. 
You know, around this world today, there are pastors imprisoned all over the place. It happened recently in Canada. So far, they're leaving the churches here in America alone, but I don't think that's going to last. I pray it does. But we've talked about prison ministry. Is that anything unnew? No. Or, or anything new? No. For several months, on Wednesday nights, we studied the life of the pilgrim and pilgrim's progress. Who wrote that? A preacher, and he's writing from prison. His name was John Bunyan. Is it, is it, did God take care of Bunyan's family? He sure did. But Bunyan had to minister, and he preached from prison. God used him mightily there. Now, hallelujah, in the text, and you could easily read over this, the apostles were not alone. Not everyone was called away. How do we know? Verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. There, there were men in that church doesn't matter who sees us burying this guy. Somebody's probably watching, but we're going to stay faithful to the Lord. And they didn't just bury him. They lamented over him, reminding us that we do sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. Now, in the narrative, Paul takes our thoughts back to Saul. This is verse 3. So the agent of the deadly trouble is still at work. He's still at work. Verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc. Do you know what the word havoc means? He was destroying the church. Now, this verb is in the imperfect tense showing us that he doesn't succeed. <laughs> I love that. In the original, the Lord's already giving us a little hint. This isn't going to continue. This guy's not going to win. But he is destroying the church at this moment. But his work is temporary. He made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Okay? Now, how many believers have been saved in Jerusalem? Thousands. What prison could hold all of them? Remember, he's going house to house. This is, he's going neighborhood to neighborhood and searching for anybody. Do you think that the neighbors knew who the Christians were? Oh, yeah, check next door. Check next door. And so this helps us understand prison wasn't the end. He's destroyed them. And that could only mean one thing, death. What was the death? Well, in the context here, it was probably stoning. It wasn't crucifixion. That's what the Romans did. It was stoning. And as you go back through even the life of our Lord and his earthly ministry, what, was, what did they do? Finding a woman in adultery, they're going to stone her. But they bring her to the Lord first. The stoning was the preference. And by the way, around Jerusalem, there's lots of ammunition. There are stones everywhere. And so again, this, this is a bloodbath. 
It was a house-to-house effort. Stuart Custard remarks, quote, Paul or Saul perceived the major influence that Christianity was going to be unless it was stopped. He was determined to be the one who would stop it. No one was spared. Men, women, he committed them to prison. What about their children? I don't know that he cared. Imagine what this is doing in the church in Jerusalem. Imagine if it was happening in our context and we're looking out for each other and trying to find out where people's kids are and who's in prison and, and who's still alive. You've got to insert yourself into these texts to even get a sense of how difficult this was. But Saul was still at work. Now scripture will show us the spiritual result of the deadly trouble. Look at verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere. In hiding. (laughs) It's not what it says. They went everywhere. And what are they doing? They're preaching the word. Again, this brings us back to the title of the message. Don't miss this. They that were scattered went everywhere preaching. Okay, we can't do it in this part of the harvest field. Wherever we end up, that's where we start again. God may allow his own to be scattered by persecution or other difficulties, but for one main purpose, we're looking for a better life. That's up there. Okay, no, no, no. It's for the gospel. It's for the gospel. Do you know, and I was reminded of this this morning with this message on my mind, God could put you in a hospital bed because in that part of the the harvest field, somebody needs to hear the gospel. It's interesting who who, who I'm hearing amens from. Some of you have been there. Would, Would God really do that? Yeah, because everything in that hospital room is temporal. It's temporary. The souls that are there, that's all about the eternal. I get a new body, but I, once I'm heaven's side, I won't be able to share the gospel with anybody again. It's too late. So they went everywhere preaching the word. Let me share an example. We know that many Europeans who came to these shores mistreated the Indians who were here. In many cases, trying to force them to become Christians. What an awful testimony some of that history is. Jesus never put a sword to anybody and made him become a Christian. That's not who he was. But that's not all the history. That's what some of those out there would want you to think the history is. That's not all the history. And in fact, God allowed the persecution of his church in Europe to bring the gospel to places around the world. He allowed persecution in England to bring the gospel to the Indians who were here. Did you know that? Both pilgrims and Puritans shared Christ with indigenous peoples on this continent. You're going to get those, meet those folks in heaven. Dr. Kent Curtis wrote this about this time in history, this time period. Here's what he said, and I'm just going to read it for you. In 1628, 
1628 charter of the Massachusetts Bay Colony stated that one of the chief purposes of establishing a colony in England was, and I'm quoting, to win the natives of the country to the knowledge and obedience of the only true God and Savior of mankind, end quote. Yeah, you heard me right, Massachusetts. Been there recently, anyway. The seal of the colony had the picture of an Indian and the words of the Macedonian to Paul in Acts 16.9, come over and help us. That was on the seal. John Eliot had come to Massachusetts in 1631 and became the pastor of the church in Roxbury the next year. For the next 58 years, he not only pastored the congregation at Roxbury, he maintained an energetic, concerned Christian witness to the surrounding Indians as well. In his dealings with the Indians, Eliot was not interested in a mere outward change of religious beliefs. Rather, his emphasis was on repentance and belief in Jesus Christ as Savior. Having learned... Algonquian, in other words, he learned their language. Sounds like he was a good missionary. Eliot began teaching Christian truths to the Indians in their own language. He would begin by describing the glorious power, goodness, and greatness of God as seen in his creation. Of course, that's Romans 1. By presenting the Ten Commandments to the Indians, Eliot pointed out what God required of them, and the punishment that would come for breaking his holy law. Again, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All this was preparatory to the comforting words that God had sent Jesus Christ to die for their sins. After Eliot patiently answered their questions about God and his creation, he showed them God was a merciful father who would accept all who would come to him in repentance. Many of the Indians showed a strong interest in the things of Christ and were genuinely converted. Those who maintained their profession in Christ often left their nomadic lives and formed villages to separate themselves from their pagan backgrounds and learn more about Christianity. These villages were often called praying Indian towns. Can I just pause for a moment and say this? We hear so much today, well, they need, to, they need to honor their culture. Not if their culture's pagan. Not if there's spirit worship and demonism. No. They need to become like Jesus. Where the Indians uh, often made laws, and then the Indians often made laws punishing their former practices. Based on the Ten Commandments, they passed laws and they began to self-govern themselves and punish practices that included idleness, wife-beating. Well, that's a good law. Okay, shouldn't do that. Polygamy, lying, and stealing. Where do those ideas come from? John Eliot and the Puritans recognized that conversion to Christ would change the entire fabric of Indian life. And again, this is this historian writing. As all things had become new in the Puritans' lives. 
Because Christian living must follow conversion, John Eliot took upon himself the immense task of translating the Bible into Algonquian. He translated the scriptures. Oh, by the way, his 1663 translation became the first Bible printed in America. Did you know that? The first Bible printed here was to the American Indian. Eliot also composed an Indian primer and grammar to teach reading and an Indian psalter which became their first hymnal. He's called today the Apostle to the Indians. He died at age 85, having lived a full life of service to his Lord, his congregation, and his beloved Indian neighbors. Can you see John Eliot's mindset was exactly that of the believers in Acts 8? Would you be willing to pray this morning and ask God to make your mindset such that if trouble, persecution caused you to flee and relocate, you would go there purposed to give the gospel. We need the mindset of Joseph here. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many people alive. Remember what I told you about John Eliot, the apostle to the Indians. What I didn't tell you is how he ended up in Massachusetts. How did he get there? While in England, he was an assistant pastor to a preacher named Thomas Hooker. When he begins ministering with Pastor Hooker, Thomas had already been forced out of two churches in England and was ministering in a small village, the small village of Little Badow, where he kept a school. He was there training children for the Lord. But the Bishop of Canterbury said, you can't preach in, in any pulpits. That sounds familiar if you know church history in England. Now because of Pastor Hooker's influence with Puritan sympathizers, he was ordered to appear at the Court of High Commission. He got a summons to appear. And this could only mean one thing, you're going to be imprisoned, because he's not going to recant. So what did he do? Okay, he didn't show up for court. <laughs> uh, he fled to Rotterdam in the Netherlands, it was at this time that John Eliot, who had been assisting him, saw the handwriting on the wall, if I can put it that way. He saw what was happening, and that's when he got on a ship and came to Massachusetts. It was persecution. Later, Pastor Hooker would also relocate to America from the Netherlands. He moved to a settlement called Hartford to help establish a new colony there. And his focus being there was this, to share the gospel with everybody that he could. By the way, perhaps if you've heard of where this new colony called Hartford was located, Connecticut. Did you know that the state of Connecticut, like the state of Massachusetts, both those places were founded by folks who were preaching the gospel and trying to reach people for Christ? Connecticut was established by a preacher fleeing persecution in England, and he went to Connecticut to preach the word. 
scattered in order to preach. By the way, he's called the father of Connecticut. I don't think they're teaching that in schools today, but that's, that's who Pastor Thomas Hooker is known as. So may God help us remember that sometimes God scatters for the further proclamation of his word. How many of you get encouraged when you hear about persecution? Please don't raise your hand. You're lying. Put mine down. All right. None of us like that because we like to be liked. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. God said that. I don't like that part of it, but think about the truth that if God allows the persecution to happen, God's going to use that to relocate you, and wherever he takes you, there are going to be souls that need to hear the gospel, and let me even take it a step, and souls that are going to be saved. How do we know that? He promised he promised, if you go forth weeping, bearing precious seed, you'll doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. And the testimony of the book of Acts is if you'll go in the power of the Holy Spirit, folks are going to be saved. And so where, where Satan tries to stop you being fruitful in one place, all right, God can use all that to make you fruitful in another place. Here's my burden. Will we hold on to this truth from the beginning of Acts 8 and will we remember it for whatever lies before us in the future? I believe that that's what God would have us to consider and then embrace this morning. You're on the victory side. He's already run, won the war. You're not here to have a nice life. Be happy and lots of American dream. It's not about that, folks. Every good gift is from God. He's good to his children. <clears throat> that is not why we're here. We get to walk golden streets someday and live in a mansion you could never afford in a million lifetimes here. So keep your focus there. But let God help you understand. We've got work to do here. And let me close with this thought and our time's up. If you're not denying yourself in a time of peace, when there is not really persecution, if you're not being a witness for Christ now, you're going to struggle later. I would encourage you, get busy in the work now. Get in that habit now. All right? The night comes when no man's going to be able to work, so use the opportunities that you have now. But if persecution comes, God's going to push you into doing his work unless you're going to deny him. He is. He's, he's going to push you to do his work. You're going to have to stand for him. We're all going to have to be willing to identify with him. So do it now. 
Be fruitful. Let God work through you now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for showing us that through church history, we can see it in the scriptures. There have been times that you have allowed persecution to make the church more effective, to broaden the church's efforts to reach the world for Christ. And Lord, we dare not think in in our day in America that this is something that happens to other Christians, but it could never happen to us. Lord, you've been so gracious, though, to give us religious freedom. Lord, would you help us to be faithful witnesses? We should not look at this as something that we're just required to do. It's a duty. No, it's a privilege. Lord, we get to see people come to Jesus. And we don't have to save them. Your gospel is the power for that. But Lord, we need to be busy in the harvest field. And thank you for the example of Stephen, who stayed true to the end. And for Christians who also uh, felt the repercussions of Stephen's death and ongoing severe persecution. But Lord, they didn't go hide. It wasn't about finding a better life somewhere else. Lord, they went with the gospel, realizing that if their life was taken, their opportunity to share Christ would be over. And so they went, Lord, your word indicates they went with purpose to be a witness. Now, Lord, help us to have that purpose today. Give us spiritual eyes, even though we live in great comfort right now. Give us an urgency. Holy Spirit, give us the grace to be effective witnesses for you, not to hold back. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.